Uh, no, it's a joy to be with you here as we uh, come together to uh, once again be reminded of God's love for us, once again be reminded of our place that we have in God's family, that it's nothing that we did or nothing that we deserve, but simply that God has poured out his grace and mercy upon us. Pastor Joel asked me to come preach, and I said, what do you want me to preach on? He said, you pick anything you want. And I was like, that's the worst thing you can tell someone whose mind is in a million different places. Uh, but you know what? Uh, I said, what have you guys been doing? He said, we've had a couple hard weeks of, of learning and being, um, you know, being trained and being coached and, and a lot of intense sermons. So, you know, just give them something to feel good about. And I was like, man, that's weird because just a few weeks ago, I was asked to give a sermon at a chapel at my alma mater, Martin Luther High School. And I said to them, what do you want me to preach on? They said, anything you want. Great. And so what I do when somebody says, what do you want me to preach on? I said, so what have you guys been doing? What have you been talking about? Like for the high school, I said, what's the theme verse for the years? They said, Colossians chapter three. And they said, but here's the deal. You probably want to stay away from that one because it's the fourth week of school and we have chapel three times a week and every other presenter has preached on that text and they're probably getting sick of it. And I was like, well, let me take a look and get back to you. I'll think of something. So in my mind, I started thinking about kind of like when you go back home or if you go to your alma mater for a football game or you get together for a high school reunion uh, or whatever it may be, you start thinking back to like, what do people in high school need to hear? And so you dust off the cobwebs of your brain and you start looking and thinking about the old days. And I pulled out a yearbook and I saw a picture of myself. And I mean, I don't remember being this little portly fella uh, with a bowl cut, but it was true. I mean, you can imagine it, let's be honest. Just the emotions that came along with that. I was like, man, this, is a, this was a scary time in my life. I'm a freshman. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what this high school thing's all about. I'm not at a huge high school, but I'm at a high school with people who are like grown men. The seniors were huge, and some of them had beards, and I was scared of that. And then I started thinking to myself, like, well, maybe I need to give something about, like, fear not, God is with you. He's going to be with you when things don't seem going right. Because there's probably some people their fourth week of high school who are scared out of their minds about being here. And then I looked through my senior yearbook when, you know, apparently I was beaming with confidence because next to my picture was my senior quote, and get this kind of confidence, ready? God must have spent a little more time on me. I mean, it was like 2000, and there was that big hit, God must have spent a little more time on you, but I was clever and funny and beaming with confidence and thinking to myself, I'm the king of the world here at Martin Luther High School, which is not true. And when I looked in the mirror, I thought to myself, how can anybody be afraid of me? How can anybody be scared of me? And so I was just thinking, maybe the message they need to hear is, you may think that you're a big fish, but you're in a really small pond. And so as you go through life, walk humbly with your God and love mercy and, and act justly. Because when you get out into the real world, you're going to have a rude awakening. And one day you're going to look back and, and, and be in the high school and you're going to look at seniors and be like, how in the world was anybody afraid of those guys? But I figured that's more like a springtime message I can give them. When they're really ready for the world and they've figured it all out and they're on their next way. And so I went back to the passage that they had heard over and over and over and over again. And 
I'm sure it was tiring, but when I opened up my Bible to Colossians chapter 3, which is what we're going to look at again today, because I think the message for them is a good message for you as well, I found this. It's on page 984 in your pew Bible. We're going to kind of look at the whole text a little bit, so um, it would probably be good. I always say, I used to tell people, pull out your Bibles if you brought one from home, and then I've been a Lutheran pastor long enough to know that doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's like a Lutheran church joke. We don't bring Bibles, right? Not a funny joke, but a joke. All right, so from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, this is what I read. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So leave your finger in there for a minute. One of the things I thought about when I went back to chapel and when I was asked to do chapel was this. When I was in school, we went to chapel only two times a week. And by my estimation, I'm guessing that's about 70 chapels a year. Multiply that by the four years. I know it's shocking to you that it only took me four years. But four years of high school, 280 times I went to chapel in high school. That doesn't count church on Sunday mornings or on Saturday nights, and that doesn't count other things I did. Chapel in that building about 280 times. And then I thought to myself, I don't remember any of them. Not one. Not one chapel. I remember things about the chapel. I remember who I liked to listen to and who I didn't. And I remember the joy in which I came into chapel when I saw that it was one of my favorite teachers or it was just like the drama club or the choir that was doing it. No one was actually going to give us a message that day. The thing I remember about chapel is that they made us sit on these metal folding chairs and I was impressed and amazed that every single time we went to chapel, both of my legs would fall asleep. And I thought to myself, how can both of your legs fall asleep and feel tingly every single day that we come into this room? 280 times. And I thought to myself, if I boiled it all down, as I was going in, it's just going to be another message about how we need Jesus and that Jesus loves us over and over and over again. It could get a little bit tiring. And so when I decided that I was going to use this text because it would only be the 10th time they've heard this text, I thought this particular text could be used 280 times in a row. There is so much to find in this text. It is how God has charged us to go out and to live our lives as Christian people. And there is so much that we could look into and figure out in this text. And we could each grow day in and day out and daily as we walk through this text together. 
But I don't claim to be the smartest guy. I don't claim to be the wisest person. I'm probably not the most well-read person in this room, and you probably guessed all that just by looking at me. I couldn't get over one particular passage, one particular verse in this, and I thought, why in the world can't I figure this out? And it starts right at the beginning in 3 chapter 12, or 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now this may be a refresher, but Paul, when he wrote these letters that we have in the New Testament, what he does is he essentially goes and he plants a church and he starts a church in a new city or a new area and he stays there and he works with them for some time, 18 months, maybe two years, and then he moves on to somewhere else. And then he gets word from other Christians, hey, this church over there, the church in Ephesus, is having these issues. And so what he does is he writes a letter back to the Ephesians, and that's what we have in our Bible. So things are either going really well or things are going really bad, but understand that Paul has spent time with these people for years and he's told them about the love that they have from God, that nothing can separate them from the love that we have from God in Christ Jesus. Paul worked with them, worked with their leaders daily, daily, daily. And every single time he would write back to them, his word was littered with reminders of God's love for you. Paul is writing to a Christian church. He is writing to a church like Grace. And he's saying, hey, here's some things we need to think about. And in verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He could have simply said, I'm writing to the church, so I could have just wrote this, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And forgive one another if you have grievances, and worship together, and sing songs and hymns, and give thanks to God, and glorify God. But he didn't just move on and say, this is what you're supposed to do. He stopped and he said, put on then, clause, reminder, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, kindness, patience, meekness. You see, Paul is constantly reminding his people. It's, it's a message that's probably tiring to the ears of the people. They're probably reading Paul's thing, and they're like, Paul, let's get on with it. Tell us what you want. We understand that we're chosen. We understand that we're loved by God. It was me in high school. We get it. It's you in the pew here in this place. Every single week, you are reminded that God has chosen you, that he loves you, that you have value, and that you have been sent here with a purpose. And we lose sight of it so often. And we take it for granted so often. And sometimes we just have to stop and be reminded that this is so essential and core to who we are as God's people. In Isaiah, we see the prophets in the Old Testament, the prophets are constantly reminding the Israelites, you are God's chosen people. You are the chosen race of God. And so these things apply. In our Old Testament reading today from Isaiah 42, which really proves the point because I didn't want Isaiah 42, I wanted Isaiah 43, but I have really fat fingers that I texted the verses to Pastor Joel. It's going to be a diagnosis someday in the medical field about having big thumbs. This wasn't a thing a few years ago. 
Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom the soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The writers are constantly reminding the people of God that you are chosen. Don't lose sight of it. There's things that happen in the world and you're going to doubt it for a minute. And so when we come into church in the 21st century, we remind you every single time that God loves you. And regardless of where you've been or what you've done or what's going on in your life or, or what you live with in your past, you are chosen by God, you are forgiven by God, and you are loved by God. So much so that he would send Jesus into the world for you. We have a God who cares about us, a God who loves us, a God who has chosen us by name. And the reason we have to keep telling you and ourselves this is because we lose sight of it, even in the church. I don't know all of you in this room. I see some people from my past, so this is gonna be true for them. I'm not a perfect person. Pastor Joel isn't a perfect person. Even Bill, who's pretty, I mean, seems pretty perfect. <laughs> Not perfect. Which is why we all find ourselves here. Broken, sinful people in need of a Savior. And there's some of us that walk around and we hear the news that Jesus forgives us and yet we live our lives with guilt and pain because something in our past is holding us up. We, we live like we, we're outside of the love of God because we have an addiction and we have secrets that people don't know about us and yet how could God love us even in the midst of it? If, if my own family can't love me because of a broken relationship, if my own spouse couldn't stay with me because I wasn't good enough, then how in the world could God even understand it? And I know you tell me each and every week, I know you tell us every single week that God loves us and that he, his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy know no bounds but you don't know my life. The addictions that I have, the horrible things I've done, the abortion that nobody knows about, my relationship that's getting ripped apart, my world that's crumbling, my kids who hate me, my parents who don't have a clue about me and don't seem to value me at all. Does God love me through that? Sure does. Sure does. We have a God who's chosen you, a God who's called you by name, and you are his. And if people in the church need to be reminded of this time and time and time again and still have a hard time grasping the concept of how amazing and how wide and deep and, and long the love of God is, then the world certainly, who doesn't know Jesus, needs to hear about this. And the best thing you can do is to understand that God loves you, that he's chosen you, that he has called you by name, that you are his. And then your best asset that you have is your own brokenness and your own story that you carry with you out into the world to live the way that Paul called these people to live. It's the same way God calls you to live. But you have to start by understanding who you are and you have to start by understanding that your brokenness has been made new, has been renewed, has been reconciled because of what Jesus did. Because the world needs to hear about it. And I can go somewhere and say, listen, like I'm all messed up. 
and I'm not perfect at all. And yet God loves me, and if he loves me, he can love you. And Pastor Joel can go out and he can say, listen, if God loves me and he's called me by name and he's chosen me, then he's called you and he's chosen you. And you guys each have your own story that you can tell. But you have to be convinced that God has called you and chosen you and and pulled you out from before the beginning of time and said, you are mine. In my work, this is what we do. We find people who are convinced of this. They are convinced that God has has won them over, that their lives have been transformed, that their lives have been changed, and they have a burden, a longing to make sure that the people that they knew from their old life know Jesus. Whether they grew up in government housing up in Sockville, or whether they were in gangs, or whether they have an arrest record, or whether they grew up in Ethiopia or on the north side of Milwaukee, for some reason, it seems to me that society and the church has left some people out of the story. People who we like to call overlooked and underestimated. People who have incredible potential, who have been convinced that God himself has called them by name and has forgiven them and set them free from whatever their past has, regardless of where they come, regardless of what they've done, regardless of what language they speak. Spanish, Amharic, Swahili. They've all been placed in Milwaukee and they all have been tasked with a vision on how they're gonna reach their community. They just feel stuck. And our job is to make sure that they can stop worrying about unfulfilled dreams that God has given them, and instead they can become fearless influencers of the gospel and of the kingdom of God here in this place. One of our leaders is a guy by the name of Marty Calderon, and Marty had a very hard past. Marty made a lot of poor choices. Marty's dad was a pastor um, who loved Marty despite all of his waywardness. Marty ended up in jail a few times. Marty, one day in prison, was called by God. He heard the good news. He heard what was going on, and he said, God can love me in the midst of all my brokenness. And if that's true, if he really has called me and chose me, I need to live my life different. You see, Colossians chapter 3 doesn't just get to this point where he puts this clause in. It made me curious, so I went to the beginning part of it. The beginning part of it, it says, here's just matter of fact, Paul speaking to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that, you, that are above, not on the things of this earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Are you convinced of it? That you have died unto yourself, that Christ has taken a residence, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you as a broken, messed up person, but he sees you covered in the blood of Jesus, and he says, you are mine, and you are holy, and you are beloved. Marty was convinced of it. And Marty's not perfect by any means. But Paul continues, what does that actually look like? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these things you used to walk when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. 
seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here, there is not Jew or Greek. There is not circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and he is in all. Put on then as God's chosen holy ones, holy and beloved, compassion. Marty said, listen, if God loves me so much and he can take even someone like me, then there's no one outside of the grace of God. So Marty felt called to, to work with reconciliation of gangs and he'd get together rival gang members on the south side of Milwaukee for years and he uh, would work with them and pray with them and bring some sort of peace and healing amongst them. And then he felt called by God. He had a vision that he should have a home for men who are coming out of the house of correction. And because of his gang violence, reconciliation stuff that he was doing, he became friends with the head of the House of Correction. He became friends with a bunch of Milwaukee police officers and a bunch of commanders. And so Marty had this great reputation. And when I first met Marty, when I first met Marty, uh, Marty was at this house that he had just rented. And he said, I'm ready to move in my first guy who's going to come to this house where God has called him. And he is going to uh, learn what it is to be a disciple. And he's going to get a job. And I said, like, what's your plan? <laughs> like, probably can't just do this. And he said, God's called me to it. And I said, well, let's see what we can do. And so we helped Marty get this house established by creating a back-end system that made sure everything was done legally and ethically. And then we found business owners who could help Marty's guys get jobs. Men and women who said, Christian people who said, I want to give you a chance because I believe that God has chosen you and that we are all in need of second, third, and 100th chances. And so Marty Calderon opened a house on 17th and Lincoln called God Touched Milwaukee. And one of the men he has coming into his place who lives there is a man by the name of DeAndre. And DeAndre, uh, many years ago, was a gangbanger in Milwaukee. And he was called to guard a house uh, so that way uh, the drugs would be okay. And so he guarded a house and a car pulled up, a black car with tinted windows. And they were like, oh no, there's a rival gang here coming to steal our stuff. And so, uh, Mar or so DeAndre uh, took his gun and started shooting into the car and the car returned fire and shot DeAndre. It wasn't a rival gang, it was an undercover unmarked police squad from the Milwaukee Police Department. And Marty was shot and spent 13, or DeAndre was shot and spent 13 years in jail. And in that place, somebody came to him and said, man, you gotta give up the ways of the world, all this stuff that Paul writes about, you are chosen by God. You are chosen by God to live differently, to do things differently. And in that place, he said, I'm done with the old life I had. I am convinced that God has actually called me by name. He has chosen me. And so when DeAndre got out of jail, he went and he lived at Marty's house. Marty, because of the work he had done, knew a bunch of police officers and was able to reconcile and reunite these two men together, both who are Christian men called and chosen by God because we need to heal as the body of Christ. That beat cop back in the day is now the Milwaukee chief of police named Alfonso Morales. I don't know if it's aired yet, but I was at a meeting when Channel 4 was there, bringing these two together because they formed this wonderful relationship that doesn't seem realistic. 
But anchored in God, we find out that there is no distinction between black and white and Hispanic. There is no distinction between rich or poor. There is no distinction between what language you speak. No, Christ is all. He has covered all and all are in Christ. Therefore, as God's chosen people, put on these things because you're holy and you're beloved. When Isaiah wrote the words that you are chosen by name and that you are mine, it continues with this. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. What Isaiah is telling his people is the same thing Paul's telling the Colossians. It's the same thing I'm telling you and the church tells you week in and week out and don't ever get sick of it. You have been chosen by God. He has you. And so when you get into the rivers of life and stuff comes over you and you feel like you're going to drown, even if you drown in this world, God has you. And when you go through the fires and your world is falling apart and things are horrible, here's the reality. God has you. He has chosen you by name. You are his and that fire will not consume you. They can take your body, but they cannot take your soul for you have been called. And it's a message you are going to hear every single time you come to church. And I pray, unlike myself, that you never get sick of it. That regardless of what happens in your life, you cannot separate yourself from God because you are his. You have been chosen. He's got you. And as I finished up my message at Martin Luther that day, I just said this. You're going to sit through a lot of chapels and they're going to be really boring and your butt's going to hurt by the end of them. I've been there. I've done that. But one thing I fail to realize is that the messages that are talked about time in and time out are reminding us of these simple truths. You have been chosen. You are loved. You have a value because God paid his own son's life for you and you have a purpose to bring others to the truth that they too have been chosen. And you do that by having compassion and you do that with kindness. You do that with patience. And you do that by forgiving people and by worshiping together with people and getting to know people's lives and be thankful to God that he's done this for you and that you can bring some of that to somebody else. If you remember nothing else in your chapels, if you here at Grace remember nothing else from anything that anybody's ever told you, understand that you are chosen by God He's got you. You are loved. You are valued. And you have a purpose. And nothing can snatch you away from that. He's called you by name. You are his. So in the name of Jesus, I pray that we all firmly believe that and now go out and live in that way. Amen. We pray. Gracious God, your grace is amazing in how sweet it is on the sound of our ears. That you could love us regardless of where we came from, regardless of what we've done. That you could forgive us and that you could value us so much that you would send your own son into the world to prove it. 
And yet, God, sometimes we mess up and we fall short. And yet you call us back into this relationship because there's nothing we can do that can separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. Remind us of the love that he has, that you have called us by name, that we are yours, and this world cannot harm us even though everything fall apart. It's in the name of Jesus I pray it. Amen.